You like to be active. You love exercise. And you just want to make sure you're getting the most out of your time spent sweating. There's so much conflicting information about the type of exercises to do and how often to do them that it can be hard to identify the workout program that best meets your needs. All About Fitness is here to answer any questions that you may have about exercise and the equipment and programs can help you achieve results in the shortest period of time. My name is Pete McCall and I've been a fitness educator for almost 15 years. If you have any questions about exercise, don't just ask a personal trainer who may have just received his or her certification last week. Ask someone who's been training trainers since flip phones, cassette tapes, and portable CD players were all the rage. Please note that all the information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting an exercise program, please consult your physician to identify any possible risk factors that could be a potential cause of injury. If you're a fitness enthusiast and look forward to going to the gym or your favorite studio more than going to your full-time job or even home, or if you absolutely love taking group fitness classes and often find yourself thinking, I should be doing this, then at some point you've probably wondered how you can switch careers and turn your favorite hobby into a paying job. To be honest, that's how I got started in this business. Way back in the late 90s, I was working in politics and had a part-time job at the front desk of a gym in Washington, D.C. Now, if you're just thinking about the business, my recommendation is you start working part-time at a front at a front desk. You get to see how the gym operates. You get kind of get the, the feel, the flow. At the same time, you're learning. You're also getting a free membership. So if you need to save a few dollars, that's another option as well. When I was working the front desk, I saw that many of the trainers and fitness instructors were actually able to make a living teaching classes and delivering private training sessions. It was always something that interested me, but I had absolutely no idea how to get started. So after a little research about how to earn a personal training certification, which included speaking with other trainers and, and speaking with the club managers, I signed up, studied, and went from working the front desk into club management and ultimately into training and teaching group fitness full-time. That's right. Before I was a trainer, I was a manager. So I actually did the reverse. I started out as a manager and went to training. Being a manager gave me a consistent income while I built up a training business, but the frustrating thing was that I did payroll, so I saw how much my trainers were getting paid. They were making more money earning 25 hours, they were making more money in 25 hours a week training clients than I was working 50 hours, which helped motivate me to make that transition to full-time trainer. To be honest, that's the story of how many of us start our careers in the fitness industry. We enjoy it so much that we want to make a career out of it. And that is the case of today's guest on All About Fitness. The co-owner of Iron Body Studios in Boston, the developer of the I Am Not Afraid to Lift workshop series of weight training, primarily for women but for men as well, and owner of a killer set of arms, hashtag arms like Artemis, an all-around awesome person, Artemis Scanalides. When I first met Artemis, I had actually made my transition from government schlub in Sector 7G to a full-time trainer and instructor. A few years later, Artemis made the same decision, and it's been fun to watch her career flourish from part-time instructor to full-time studio owner and now public speaker. In today's episode, Artemis and I talk about the why and the how she made the transition from fitness enthusiast to fitness professional. In addition, Artemis has a fascinating story of how she transitioned from a dancer who eschewed most forms of weightlifting 
to become only the ninth woman and actually lightest one to complete the Iron Maiden Kettlebell Challenge. That, what the challenge is will be in the show notes below. She also is now entering in powerlifting competitions. So she went from somebody who really virtually avoid weightlifting to now entering in weightlifting competitions. So if you're interested in how to make a living while wearing your favorite workout gear, or if you want to know how you can go about lifting weights more effectively to learn how you can get the body you want by using iron, then you're going to get a lot out of today's conversation. And if you do want to learn how you can make fitness a career, then listen at the end of the show, because at the end of the show, I will go through some specific information about how you can become a personal trainer. Because the interesting thing is, I went from being certified in 1998 to 10 years later, working for the largest personal training certification. Now, besides hosting this podcast, I consult with a couple different certifications and write education programs for equipment companies. So I can help you get started in your career if that's interested in you. But before we get started with our conversation with Artemis, please listen to the sponsors of All About Fitness. Active Motion Bar is the only weight bar with a dynamic movable resistance. 30% of each Active Motion Bar is designed to move, which makes it 170% more effective than traditional weight training bars. Active Motion Bar. Let the resistance move you. www.activeactivemotionbar.com Vicor Fitness is a sponsor of All About Fitness. Vicor Fitness are the creators of a unique line of strength training benches that use adjustable air bladders instead of hard plastic for their benches. Vicor benches can actually reduce compression on joints, allowing more tissue to be involved in each exercise, leading to greater results. In addition, Vicor Fitness has launched a new TerraCore workout platform. Check out Vicor, V-I-C-O-R-E, fitness.com to see how they're changing the way that people work out. with All About Fitness and going to be talking with Artemis Scanalides out of, uh, you're out of Boston, correct? Yes, I am in Boston. Mm -hmm. Uh, How far south of Boston? I am right in Boston. Uh, I'm uh, more west of Boston in a town called Roslindale, and um, but it's considered the city of Boston. So if you're leaving, if you're going like southwest of Boston, if you're getting out of the city, like leaving the financial district or if you're leaving the train station where um, South Station is, it goes Roxbury and then Jamaica Plain and then Roslindale and then my um, and then my gym is like right next to Roslindale and West Roxbury. So I'm technically in the city of Boston, but I'm not like in Back Bay or the financial district. Not in the downtown area. And what's the name of your no. gym? It's Iron Body Studios. Okay, and how long have you had that? When did you guys open that up? We started running our gym uh, five years ago. In 2011, we were subleasing space from another facility, and we did that for two years before we moved into our own facility in 2013. And then last year, we moved to our new facility. Um, Just the old facility that we're in just didn't really fit our business model, so um, we're in a... a, a new facility and we we're coming up on a year because we moved last 4th of July. We tend to move on 4th of July. That seems to be like our ritual. <laughs> well, better that. that I, remember, I remember you know, the, the brief time I lived in Boston, that's better that than the end of August because the end of August is insane. And yeah. you want to try to move around that time. 
I know because all the kids are coming in to to go to school, and yeah, it's bananas. And so, how long have you? One of the reasons why um, I'm speaking with Artemis today on all about fitness is she made she did a switch, which many people might be thinking about. And what did you do before you got into fitness? So right out of college, uh, I was working as a contracts administrator for the United States Mint in Washington D.C. So I was working in procurement, and I worked in procurement for a number of years. I worked for the federal government, for the Treasury Department, and then moved on to work um, for a government contractor on the commercial side. But I still was handling government contracts. And then after that, I... um, I took that experience in procurement, in contracts, negotiation, and administration, and I started to, and I got into IT consulting. And what I would do, what I did in IT consulting was I would do software implementations for primarily for contracts man- contract management systems, but it did change into some sales, like Salesforce. It, ter- it turned into some um, some sales systems. So I would go in. I was a business analyst, so I would go in and I would meet with the client and I would do business process analysis, and then I would map their business process to the software and work with the developers to uh, to roll out the, impl- the software implementation. Wow. That's just, that's yeah. really, so how long ago did you get, I mean, you're doing that and, and that sounds like a really, and an interest full disclosure, Artemis and I have known each other quite a long time yes. um, because I was working in health clubs in DC when she was working in her previous career. And, yeah. and so what about, what was it about the fitness industry? What, obviously that job title sounds very extensive and, and not, may not light your soul afire <laughs> doing contracts <laughs> administration for the government. What was it about fitness? When did you decide to make that move to transition from, because in all honesty, that sounds like just knowing what I know, you, you had a very good career and you were doing very well financially, but, but yeah. what attracted you to the fitness industry? Uh, well, I wasn't happy in my job. I hated working in an office. I hated sitting on my butt all the time. I was so bored out of my mind. Um, I was good at what I did, but I did not thrive off of it. I was dr- every day and it got to the point, it got worse and worse over the years where I would literally dread going to work and dread getting dressed to go to work. And I couldn't wait to get out of there. And, um, just as I, from a very young age, I was, I was always athletic. So, you know, at age three and a half, I started taking ballet and, um, I took dance all up until I was 27. And so I was always athletic. And so I think it was really hard for me to be in a job where I was sitting down and I was typing and I just, you know, so when it came to the fitness industry, it was more about like, I, it was very exciting to me. And, um, it was an area like I, I love to, I don't know. I, I love athletics and now I love lifting. And so it was something that just really appealed to me. And what, I became interested the first time I took like my first spin class. So I took my first spin class and I remember thinking, wow, that was just incredible. I just felt like I had been taken, like transported somewhere when I took that class and it was hard and the instructor was, he was a very good instructor and, um, I remember feeling very inspired and thinking, wow, I would really love to be able to do this for a living. And and at the time, so I was in my early 20s, I was 22, I think, when I took my first spin class. And 
the fitness industry was very glamorous. <laughs> it seemed very glamorous <laughs> to me, which now being in it is not so glamorous. But I think for people who are on the outside, uh, you know, they had the perception that I had, which is like all of these people in the fitness industry, they're rock stars, you know, they're, that's, that's kind of how I see it. And it's a very exciting industry. Um, and really money is, there's not a lot of money to be made in the fitness industry. I mean, you have to be really, really good at what you do. And, um, it's not that glamorous at all. <laughs> and let's be, let's be, let's be, cause this was, this was a while ago. And because yeah. I think the one thing that's really changed the dynamic of the industry, I've been working in it since 98, 99, 90, 90, mm-hmm. the end of 98, beginning of 99 was when I got into it full time. Um, and, and like you, I'd been doing stuff in DC, doing political stuff and was yeah. working part time at the front desk of the gym where we met. And that's how I got, I, that's how I started learning about, wait, you can make a living doing this. You can make a living personal training. And, and teaching yeah. group fitness, and you know, my wife was uh, you know was directing the Group X program at the time, and would throw yeah. me in the classes to make to, to get me to teach. But you know, that's because this is the time reason where I started going with that was this was before social media. Like yeah. now, you see all the fitness people; they promote you know whether they have a blog, but they have they have Instagram, Twitter. They can now YouTube be in front of so many other people. So it's interesting that they had you had that perception as a consumer. Then yeah. what? Just as someone who's a fitness enthusiast, what was your perception? of what it what it'd be like to be a trainer or an instructor. I thought it would be very exciting and glamorous. <laughs> um, the person, so, and for those of you who are listening, like I used to take Pete and his wife, Monica's spin classes. And so they were some of my, my, uh, early on spin instructors that I took classes from and they were awesome. Um, the person that I took my first spin class from, I used to take, a, um, there was a small dance studio in DuPont circle. And I used to go there and take dance and there was a body sculpting class that this man taught. And he also taught spinning at the DuPont the, you know, the Washington sports club in DuPont circle North up there. So, um, Robert and Terry. So I took, yes. It was Robert Terry. Yep. I was going to, I was going to say his name. Yep. But I, yep. no, I and so he has, has this aura or had this aura about him that was like very like rock star glamorous, like, you know, and I think it was being in my early twenties and, and his wife was like, she had this banging body and she was like pregnant with her second child and she you know taught some of his classes and taught her own classes and I used to take some of her classes and I was like wow like I want to look like this couple and this couple just seems so glamorous and like they seem like they just are like living the life and this is what I want to do maybe if I teach spin classes and teach body conditioning like that's what my life will be like so I don't know they they just you know and which is which was my perception but is not the reality well real quick just on that note <laughs> do you do you realize and I, I told Monica this they, their kid that kid that you're talking about she was pregnant graduated high school last week or oh. two weeks ago I yeah. saw it on Facebook, and that and that immediately made me. I'm like, whoa, that's way. Because I remember, I remember when she would teach. She would come into the gym, and she was a petite woman, and and so with her pregnant, yeah. you, you you really noticed it. But that's awesome that they they got you they got you into that. And when yes. did you decide? Um, when you know how long ago did you decide to make that switch from working in contracts administration with a steady income, with you know guaranteed? I mean, you had a salary, you had you had benefits, holidays. When did you decide to make that switch? It was there a driving? Was there like a driving motivator behind it? 
Well, when I took my first spin class, I knew that I wanted to get my spin instructor certification and I was interested in working in the fitness industry, but wasn't quite sure how to make that happen. And so that was around 1998. And then I finally, um, I moved to New York City for two years in 2003. I moved to Queens, New York. And that's when I went to go get I got my spin instructor certification. I drove out to Long Island and did it there. And um, and then that's when I got my first part-time job in New York City teaching spin. And I at that time, it was when I moved to New York that I was like, I really, really want to do this full-time, but I don't know how to do this. And, and I, at the time, I was still working as a contracts administrator. I hadn't moved into consulting yet. Um, I was working for um, Metropolitan Life Insurance as a contracts administrator in Queens and Long Island City. And um, so I was just scared. I was honestly, because of everything that you just said that I had, I had a really nice salary, I had benefits, I had vacation time, I had all that. And I wasn't, I was petrified of letting go of that. My brother was, we were living together um, in New York City and he was just starting out his career as a personal trainer. And I was watching him just grind out early hours, late nights and just grind it out and like not get paid very much money as a, as a trainer just starting out. And I was like, God, I don't know if I'm ready to let go of all this yet, even though I'm not particularly happy. And, um, so it took me, I moved back to DC, took a consulting job, started to work in consulting. And that was in 2005. And that was when I was like, okay, I need to figure out how to make this a full-time reality because like, this is what I, I think I want to do. So, um, I didn't make the actual leap until 2008. It took me, it took me to go through, two years at one consulting firm and then moving to another consulting firm thinking that was going to solve all my professional woes, like jumping around job to job and consulting firm when really it was like, cause I was battling with like, well, I think I really want to do this, but I don't know, maybe I just need to switch jobs and go work, you know, for this consulting firm or for this, you know, for this company. And, and finally, when I took that leap to the, when I moved to the last office job that I had, which was the second consulting firm, I was like, it's not the fact that I'm, I'm not finding the right corporate job. It's that I am not happy in this profession. This is not what I need to be doing. And what I need, what I get excited about is when I leave the office and I go and I teach my spin class at night and that, or when I get up in the morning and I go and teach it at 6am because I was teaching like 6.30 PM and 6am, that is what thrills me. That is what inspires me. That is what moves me. That's what I get excited for. That's what I look forward to. I do not look forward to going to the office. And when that really settled in, that was like, okay, I need to take steps to do this. And um, so that was probably around 2007 that I finally just got my butt in gear and was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I got my NASM cert. I got my first kettlebell cert. I made sure I had some money in the bank and um, and then just set everything up at, at the Washington Sports Club that I was working at. And I was also wor- uh, working for Equinox in Tyson's Corner part-time as a group fitness instructor. And I just finally made the leap. But I made sure I had everything in order. So I made sure I had... So it was really important for me to get my NASM certification because working for a commercial gym, you are paid a higher hourly rate if you have a national, uh, um, if you have your personal trainer certification and like they'll bring you on as an apprentice if you don't have that just yet, but you don't get paid as much. And it was really important for me to try and make as much as possible right off the bat because I was had a really nice salary. I had a really fat salary and a bonus and I had some, it was, I was very comfortable. 
Well, that's the thing that people don't realize. And, and I teach, you know, I, I teach in a couple um, college programs here in San Diego. And, and actually, it was kind of interesting because you, I used to teach the NASM certification at Town Sports for Washington Sports Clubs. So that was one of the things I did on the weekend. Was And that's how I got into education, was doing the in-house education. So if you had been a trainer, but I left in 06. 06 is when I moved up to Boston to take the director of education job um, with the company that bought the Sports Club LA. So we kind of miss each other there. I mean, we you, you, yeah. we see each other in the gym, and, and I know you took our classes, and that's why it's been fun for me to watch this from afar because that is the hard thing is people don't realize what you need to do to get started in the industry, and the first thing yeah. you mentioned is get certified. And what right. I'm going to do for the show notes, if people are thinking about a career in fitness, I'm going to put some of the organizations um, underneath the show notes because now, years later, I, I've, I've worked for the American Council on Exercise, I've, you know, I still contract for them, and I also – have worked for NASM. I mean, I, and it's interesting, Artemis, I, I haven't promoted this yet because it hasn't been released yet, but I've written a couple chapters in the mm-hmm. new uh, CPT manual for NASM. So right. it's been, um, it's, that's been kind of the cool thing to kind of get into that back end part mm-hmm. of the education. But people don't realize that, that at the gyms, that the, you know, gyms require, there's no licensure yet, but gyms still require that you have a certification yes. as a bare yeah. minimum, like driver's license. And did you find, were you surprised at how easy it was to get certified or what was your impression of going through the studying process for that? Well, I went through town sports. So they, at the time they had that, um, you did that like two day in person, uh, lab with Andrea Socando. <laughs> and I love Andres. I love, he's a good friend of ours. Yeah, he's a good, and, and he kind of took over. He he had just come on board of that, and so when I left, he actually took over a lot of the classes that I'd been teaching, but I love, love, love Andres. It was so much fun. So it was, I would say it was easy in that it wasn't a long process. It only took me... I think I started, I took that, that in the, uh, the workshop, that weekend workshop in June. And then I took my NASM test in September of that same, you know, it's only took me like three months. Uh, but it was just very voluminous. There's so much information. It's not, it's not hard, but it's a lot of information. And then you just don't know what you're going to get when you go in for that standardized test. You have no idea. Um, I, I didn't think too much of it, like whether it was like really, really easy or, or really, you know, why it was such an easy process. But now I will say being in the industry and seeing that there are just so many trainers, there are many trainers who are amazing and they're great trainers and they have a lot of good experience and education and certifications. But then there are some many, there are also many who just don't know what they're doing at all. And so I, having been in this industry full time for eight years now, I wish that there was more standardization across the board. I wish that trainers were held more accountable for their skills and education and even the hands-on practical and that experience, that experience part too, because I, I think that as a result of the trainers who don't know what the hell they're doing and don't keep up with their certifications and don't go out and get the proper training and don't read and don't go to workshops, those people, that whole group, they, I think they give those of us who are very good coaches and do what we should do in terms of reading, keeping up with our, our education and certifications. They, they give trainers in general a bad name, I think. And I, I would agree with you a hundred percent, but I mean, in, in, in actually social media, while I, it's almost like social media, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and even YouTube, 
are perfect in Snapchat. I, I, I am a relative neophyte to Snapchat, so I need to figure that one out. No. But I'm the, like, no, don't go there. Yeah, exactly. I've, <laughs> seen, I've seen some of our colleagues go on there, and I just haven't, haven't oh. gone down there. But those mediums, Artemis, are perfect for, for, for getting information out to people, to reaching out to people, for giving information out. But the, yeah. the, the, the back end of that, though, is some of the information is just dangerous. And some of those people, because they look good, because they're beautiful and they have great bodies, they don't necessarily have the education to help other people out there learn how they should move for their bodies. Just because somebody might be a size two and might be shredded or have a 30-inch waist and a 42-inch chest and be, be shredded doesn't mean they understand enough about the body to help somebody for their own needs. And that's one of the biggest challenges that we see You know, as an educator. Um, that's one of the biggest challenges that, that, that we face is how do we get everybody to understand. And, and having worked in an organization, certification organization, here's the thing. Certifications are relatively irrelevant because right now no states require licensure. And so the certifications are trying to make themselves relevant. And they're a start. They're like a driver's license. You know, just when you, and that's the analogy I use quite often. You can get a driver's license, but it doesn't qualify you to drive a Porsche 911 Carrera S, which can go from zero to 60 in three and a half seconds. You know, you have to drive a Honda, a Toyota. You have to learn how to drive before you can drive a performance car. And that's where, where the industry is, I think. I think a lot of people get a certification. That's the license, the bare minimum license to be able to help people. And all the certification does is give you the basic information about how to design an exercise program for an apparently healthy adult. But if you want to really be helpful, you have to really dig in deep and do continuing education workshops. And one of the things I've been impressed about you watching from a distance is you've done a tremendous job of that. So how did you, as you evolved and you realized you had your certification, how did you pursue, what other educational opportunities did you pursue to kind of fill, build a niche for yourself? Well, the, the, same, the same summer that I studied for my NASM cert, I got my first kettlebell certification. It was not my strong first or my RKC certification. It was, um, through kettlebell concepts. And that was, uh, it was because I wanted to teach a kettlebell class at Equinox. They're rolling out a kettlebell class. And I took that certification and immediately fell in love with kettlebells. And I, I had known about kettlebells, but I'd never used them before until I took that, that cert. And, um, I was just like, Oh, I lo- I just loved the intensity of them. And then as someone who had a dance and martial arts background. I loved that they required skill and coordination, and I really appreciated that a lot. And um, and then it just, I always liked strength training, but it just took strength training to a whole other level. I was like, wow, this is strength training? Like, this is, like, really exciting, you know? Um, so with, I, I really had a lot of respect for the kettlebell, and I think this is a good example of, okay, what, why, what else did I do to really hone in on skills? And it was, I just, right off the bat, I respected the tool of the kettlebell. And, um, so I wanted to learn everything I could about it and, and do it well and do it right. And, um, so, you know, later on I went on to get my RKC certification and that was in 2011 and I just continued to learn how to do it better and better and better. And, and, um, and I think with any other, any other, anything else that I've learned in the industry in terms of skill, a skill set, I went on to get my postpartum, um, pregnant and postpartum cert and learn more about that. And I just, I knew it was really important to be educated about 
what I was doing with my clients. I mean, you're responsible for human beings. You're responsible for like people don't people don't realize that Artemis exercise exercise is stress. We're applying anytime you you start sweating, you're 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 applying stress to the body, and if it's applied the wrong way. It could be it could be fatal, and I'm not and I'm not saying that it, to, in any type of drama. It's just people die if they don't exercise correctly, and they get seriously injured if they don't exercise correctly. And and you know, for consumers out there, there are a ton of education workshops out there. Um, you know, I teach some, Artemis teaches some, a number of professionals are out there. A ton of education workshops, and so trainers are expected to do these education workshops to maintain their certification. But not all do. I can't tell you how many times yeah. people have come to me and said, oh, I, you know, let my certification lapse. What can I, or I need to get, you know, my certification expires next month. How do I, how do I get the CECs? I need to keep it certified. Because, you know, in my experience, when you teach one of these workshops, 10 to 15% of the people in that workshop are like you or I, where mm-hmm. they're going to take any educational opportunity in their area, they're going to go to it. If there's an educational, if a Perform Better Summit's coming to your area, you're going to it because you want to learn. Not right. because you need the CECs, but you want to learn. Exactly. Um, then they're about, Maybe so that's like the top ten to fifteen percent at a at a, at a at a conference or at a workshop. The middle, the middle, probably eighty percent are there because yeah, they need the CECs and yeah, they want to learn something. But it's really because they need the CECs and and they're sort of interested in the material. Then there's always that bottom ten percent of their certifications expiring next month. They just need anything. I don't know if that's been your experience. I know you, you, you teach yeah. a slightly different thing, but that's been, been my experience with it. And so as you've gotten into this and you've gotten into strength training, what um, you know, let's talk a little bit about that because I interviewed, and I'm going to put the article below in the show notes as well because I interviewed you about two years ago, two mm-hmm. or three year, years ago for an article I wrote on strength training for women. Um, you know, kind of what was your journey like getting involved in strength training and weightlifting? And now you're doing powerlifting meets, correct? Yes, I am. And how how that start? How the because you're one of those people I think that that was kind of that didn't didn't really like weights at first, and how how that change? Well, you know, I first got into my first experience with anything that related to a weight or strength training was Nautilus machines when they was really popular. I was like 15 years. I was 15 years old, and the YMCA, the local YMCA, had just outfitted their entire gym with Nautilus and Stairmasters, like everything that was trendy. So this was like 1990, I want to say, 1991. And um, I watched Linda Hamilton and the Terminator, and I wanted to have her arms. And I think Angela Bassett was in something around that time, too, that was like, oh, Linda Hamilton and Angela Bassett are just like ripped, and I want to have ripped arms. So that was like my first venture into anything strength training related, and then that progressed into, you know, body conditioning classes and dumbbells and like, you know, those little barbell thing, barbell-like things. They're not real barbells, but like the little barbell-like Yeah, and group exercise. Thing. Yeah, the group yes, exercise weights, that yeah. They, yeah. That they have at the gym and... Um, so that evolved into, into that. And, um, and I liked, you know, being someone who with a dance background, like I think I, I have very good body awareness, very good body awareness and, and, and a high level of physical competency. So I wasn't really afraid to try these different things. And, and I, and I liked them and I liked the idea that someday my arms would look like Linda Hamilton's and, um, just to let you know, I think you've, you surpassed it. I think you gotta be, <laughs> I think you take Linda Hamilton from Terminator two in 1990, whatever one ninety or 91, whatever that came out. I, if you go, if you go head to head against that picture, I, I think you got her beat. So just, just little, little feedback for you there. 
Well, one of the coaches, just as a side note, uh, Nancy Newell, she's over at Cressy Sports Performance. She started a whole hashtag, Arms Like Artemis. She started that like about a year ago. It's nice. just like, it cracked me up. I was like, oh my God, there's, and people started <laughs> using it. So anyway, it was funny. So um, I, there was just this natural progression for me from, from the, you know, that type, just learning more and more about strength training and what strength training was all about, whether, and, and you yeah, you can knock it, you can say, oh, whatever. Like she, she didn't, she wasn't like competing in powerlifting competitions when she was 15, but no, like I would, this, what I was exposed to was Nautilus machines. And then I just sort of naturally progressed on to other types of weights. And, and then, um, now real quick, just a little quick side note on that. You, you grew up in the Boston area, right? Yes. Did you go to the YMCA in, in Quincy in, in the South Shore? No, I went to the Y at Newton Corner. Okay, because I my high school, Newton North High School. Okay, just because Wayne Westcott was a, um, a he he was one of the guys that did a lot of research for Nautilus, and he uh-huh. worked out of the Quincy Y. And so that's where so I wasn't sure if you had, because you wouldn't have known it, but you would have been working out with one of the guys who was really helping develop the, the whole knowledge program. So oh, he's yeah. well, he's well known for doing so. I, that's, I just had to ask that because I wasn't sure if you're aware of that, but, but Wayne yeah. wrote a lot, did a lot of the research with Nautilus to validate a lot of the circuit training uh, protocols that Nautilus used. Um, so that's, you know, just kind of filling the, the, the dots there. Very cool. And then, uh, then in college, you know, I, I think I was a member of Bally's Total Fitness, and I would just kind of play around with whatever weights were around. And, and then when I got into my mid-20s and I was living in New York with my brother because he was a strength coach, he had a CSCS, he would write me programs. So I would follow his programs and um, use whatever he had me using in the gym. And then I would say when I got my kettlebell certification, that's when – so it was like this – this slow evolution. And then when I got my kettlebell certification and was going to make, take the steps to work in the industry full time, that was like, that was a huge change for me. Like kettlebells changed strength training for me in a really, really big way. And how how so? What what, what about them was different? um, It just, it, it helped me to learn like that there was just so much more to strength training than, than what I had been doing. And, um, and that I could, and I, I remember building some really tremendous strength with them. And I was like, Holy cow, like I, I can get really strong here. And, um, and that was very exciting for me to become strong like that and to start to use heavier and heavier kettlebells and, and then I discovered, and then around that same time, so I was in my early 30s, I discovered I could do pull-ups. That was the first time I actually started to do pull-ups when I was 31. And I think that's one of the most empowering things yeah. that women can do is learn how to use and control their own body weight, whether push-ups or pull-ups. But yeah. how, how was that? I mean, what, what, like, was that empowering? I mean, how how that make you feel? It was incredible. I, I can't say that my brother, yeah, because I don't think my brother had me doing any pull-ups on his program. But it was really crazy because um, it. What? How did I discover that? I had been training with. Um, so I left my I left my office job, and then I 
was training for my black belts in Kung Fu. And I hired one of my colleagues who was a trainer at Equinox and he is a world champion, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And I remember he just had me doing pull-ups one day and that's when I, he just had it in the program. He just assumed I could do pull-ups. Like he was just like, I know you can do this. And Like one day he had like handstand push-ups in the program. He's like, can't you do a handstand push-up? I'm like, I don't know. I've never done one before. It's like, oh, let's see. So I think he just like assumed I could do this stuff. So he, you know, assumed I could do a pull-up and I was like, all right. I don't know. We'll see what's up. And I was able to do one and I was like, holy crap, I can do a pull up. That's awesome. (laughs) And yeah, it was so exciting. I was like, oh, it was just like nothing I'd ever done before. So, um, so just that, that feeling of excitement and empowerment and just, wow, how strong can I get? And what else can I do? And like, give me that weight and like, let's see how strong I am. And that was just that, you know, that was just really exciting for me. And, and now this has happened, and, and one of the reasons, too, to, to speak with you, this has happened because in the last five years or so, I think one of, the, one of the benefits about CrossFit becoming more popular um, is the fact that more women are getting into weightlifting and strength training. How do you, have you experienced that? Have you had more women coming into your facility and being interested in strength? And, and kind of, you know, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, are there, are there strength training benefits that women should be getting or could be getting, but they're not? Yes, I will say that I have encountered more and more women who are genuinely enjoy strength training if they're already doing it, or they are genuinely interested in learning more about it and like encountering more and more women who are not afraid to lift. (laughs) Um, and I, I do think, you know, that is one of the things that CrossFit has done well for our, for this industry and, and for lifting is that they've exposed people to the big lifts. They've exposed people to, to the barbell, to kettlebells and, um, it's just piqued people's interest in a positive way. And so I, I, I would say like more and more I encounter women who are already lifting or interested in lifting, but every once in a while I'll get a woman like, I don't know, it was probably about a month ago. I had a, someone come in to the gym at Iron Body Studios and she kept telling me that she like wanted to work her arms. She grabbed her triceps and was like, I want to work this. When are we going to work upper body? And I was trying to explain to her what we're doing are compound movements. And I was just trying to break everything down to her and explain like, you know, primary kettlebell training is their compound movements. So they're total body movements. And, and even though maybe you're doing a military press, you are engaging other parts of your, of your body and da, da, da. And then she didn't understand that the kettlebell swing, like, yes, you are working your arms, even though it doesn't feel like it, there is, if you're doing it right, like you are working your upper body. So every once in a while, I will get people who cross my path like that, who just like, don't quite get it. Um, so I think that's been, you know, they're still out there. Well, the industry for years (laughs) has been driven. I mean, we've been driven by the, the, the body part, you know, we got to train the arms Mm -hmm. one day, chest one day, legs. And I think in the last, again, the last few years, I think the magazines, um, you know, the, the various fitness magazines have done a much better job of putting, um, of putting more information out there, more that you should be training the, the whole body together. But, you know, as as a father of two young girls, I'm acutely aware of all the body image issues uh, regarding, you know, regarding women and regarding exercise and and now working in Southern California. 
because mm-hmm. as a trainer in DC, a lot of my clients were interested primarily in health. Health mm-hmm. was like their primary was their priority for exercise, and with with aesthetics being secondary. And, and, I, and that's hundred percent honesty. Same when I was training in Boston, when yeah. I was a trainer working in um, Boston Comet at the Sports Club LA, my clients were primarily interested. In how do I train to be healthier? And, yeah. and yes, I, yeah, look is important, but in those cities, people are more interested. That's not the case in Southern California, mm-hmm. <laughs> Manhattan, Southern California, Miami. If people exercise for appearance first. And like, I don't care about health. I don't care about function. I don't care about performance. How do I look better? How do I get shredded? How and that's such an interesting concept, but people don't mm-hmm. realize. I think a lot of women don't realize that strength training, weight training could be the best way to get there. Has that yeah. been your experience? And, and then what, oh, should, yeah. what should women know? Women who aren't strength training now, oh, yeah. what should they know about the benefits of strength training? Uh, I will tell you. So my, my body has changed dramatically since. I look back at pictures when I like 10 years ago or eight years ago. And, and my body has changed drastically since I got into kettlebells and started lifting heavier and heavier and started doing more pull-ups, like in, in, in a very positive way. I'm, I'm much leaner. I have more muscle. I have more shape. Um, there was, I used to not only teach a lot of spin classes, you know, so I would, there was a period of early on when I first started out in this business full time when I was 32, I was teaching like four spin classes, sometimes five a week. And I, sometimes I would have a day where I would teach double spin classes. I was running on top of that. I was training for my, my black belts in Kung Fu. I was strength training maybe like three times a week and, um, like two to three times a week, but I was doing, I would say the ratio of the, the cardio that I was doing in terms of spinning and running and Kung Fu, that was probably like 85 to 90%. And then the strength training was like, you know, 10 to 15%. And that's now that is, that has shifted. Now I'm strength training like 90% of the time and any conditioning I do is, kettlebell swings, kettlebell snatches, some sort of high intensity interval training. And there was even a phase where there was even a period of time where I didn't run for two years. I had done a race up, um, it was, must've been in 2011. I did a 15 K, which is the farthest I will never run again. (laughs) I will never do that again. I loved your blog post on that, by the way. Love that. Oh my God. And that just turned me off from running. And so I was like, I remember after that run, I was out running and I was like, why am I doing this? I hate this. I'm miserable right now. I don't want to do this anymore. So I stopped doing it and I didn't run for two years. And all I did was lift. And, um, and then for conditioning, I was doing kettlebell swings, kettlebell snatches, complexes, things like that. And then, uh, last year I started running I went out for a run for like the first time in two years and I looked at, and I took a picture of my body, of my abs and I was, and I went and I compared it to a picture from when I was doing less strength training and more running and more spinning. And it was just amazing. The difference, like amazing. I was so much leaner after having not after, after having just focused on strength training primarily for two years. Well, and, and that's what people don't realize. To interrupt don't real quick, because your strength training uses primarily the type 2 fibers, and the type 2 fibers are the ones responsible for definition for you know development. And if, if all you're doing, if all people are doing is running or using light weights, they're using primarily type 1 fibers, and they're not getting any of the larger fibers. And the, and the type 2s are responsible for the size, the shape, the appearance. And if you're not doing things to fatigue, if you're not, you know, training properly, 
you're not going to be using those muscles. It doesn't matter how much you run. It doesn't matter how much time you log on a mm-hmm. stationary piece of equipment or you know how many reps you do. Because if you're not doing reps to fatigue, I mean, you can use light weights, but if you're not doing reps to fatigue, you're not using the right muscle fibers that you need to, to develop, change your appearance. Right. And so I think you tapped in. You, know, you kind of fell into that without realizing. I mean, you, you know nothing so about the physiology. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. And what I've noticed most recently, because now that I've been powerlifting, it's been about almost a year, um, coming up on a year in August. Um, I've noticed, so the way my body is, the things that change first are like, I'll lose weight and lean out in my midsection first. And then my arms, like that will all start to show definition. My legs are usually one of the last things to, to like start to show some muscle and some shape and, um, I mean, I have, you can see the muscle in my legs, but it's not like you, know, you see some pictures on the internet of these women with these like insane quads and this crazy definition. And that's just not me. That's not like, that's not what shows first. But what I've noticed most recently since I've been powerlifting and getting underneath more weight for back squats under the bar is that my legs are actually taking on a different shape and it's, it's very exciting, you know? Yeah. So I'm, and let me just, I have to just make it clear. Like I'm not getting into, I'm not, you know, like the people (laughs) that you mentioned in Southern California, I'm not into this for the aesthetic reasons. I'm into this because I, I lift and I strength train because I like to lift because I like to be strong. I like the feeling that it gives me. I like that. I feel capable. I feel independent. It's empowering. And the fact that my body has changed as a result is a very, very nice side effect. Like it's great that the aesthetics have just fallen into place. So I'm not, I didn't go into powerlifting because I was like, Oh, I want to build some really big quads. Like it just seemed that it just happened to happen because oh, getting more weight under the bar, you know, and weightlifting competitions, powerlifting and O lifting aren't going to, they're not designed to fatigue the muscle. Bodybuilding, you put a lot of volume training into the muscle to get a specific appearance. In, in bodybuilding, you use only isolated sections of muscle to give that specific appearance. But if you're doing powerlifting, if you're doing um, Olympic lifting, and powerlifting is squat, bench press, and uh, deadlift, and um, Olympic Olympic weightlifting, just so people understand, is snatch and clean and jerk. But when you're doing the Olympic, when you're doing powerlifting primarily is what you're training for, you're using the entire body and you're not doing high volume workouts. You're doing high intensity workouts. Right. You're doing high volume. So what are, what do your powerlifting workouts look like? What does a powerlifting workout look like for you? So I have, I train with a coach out of Cressy Sports Performance. His name is Tony Bonvecchio. And I train with, um, there's a women's powerlifting group that he runs out there. And so he has us on a three day a week program. And, uh, when we're prepping for a meet, like when we were prepping for our last meet, he had us on a four day a week program to peak and get ready for that meet. But right now, since that meet, we've just been sort of on a maintenance program and it's been three days a week. And he has us, um, bench squat and deadlift every time, but there's, there's, um, a variation of it. So for example, like Tuesday is the primary focus is the squat, but then he does also have us do some, uh, bench variation. So maybe like a lighter bench and then maybe like Romanian deadlifts. And then, um, like Saturdays is deadlift day. That's our primary focus. And we will go to the other lifts, but it's, we're going to be doing a variation of those lifts or like a high bar squat at a lighter weight, things like that. So he does most of the time he has us 
doing all three lifts three times a week. Um, there was a period of time we, we all competed in a meet, not all of us, but a, a, a few of us competed in a meet back in December from, you know, from the group. And we all kind of bombed bench. <laughs> so when we got back, Tony was like, okay, I'm going to have you on a bench focus program for the next 12 weeks. And it seemed like a lot longer than 12 weeks. I have a feeling he carried that <laughs> further than 12 weeks, but I was like, oh my God, we, I am so sick of bench. He had us like benching all day, every day, but I, we all got better at it. So it, it helped. He, you know, he did his job and, and we followed and it worked. And, but, um, so it just, I would say generally he has us doing all three lifts every time we go into train. Um, but, um, unless he is like trying to get us to focus on, to get better at one specific list lift, then he has us focusing on that for a cycle of, of the, um, the program. That, and, and so, I mean, that's, it's cool to see that happen. How'd you do it in the, in the meet? Cause when, when was the last meet you did? You did one like December, right? I did. I did one in December. That was my first, very, very first one ever. It was just a push-pull, which means that it was um, bench and deadlift. And my goal was a 300-pound deadlift, and I deadlifted 300 pounds, which awesome. was amazing because I was like under, I weighed in under 120 pounds. So to come in and do that was like, it was bananas. Um, bench, I benched 135. And it it. I needed help. Like I needed, like I, when I did it, like I felt it all in my back. And after that I was like, God, I need to work on learning how to use my legs and my hips to yeah. from this position to get this weight up. Cause I'm not supposed to feel this in my back. Yeah, yeah. So that's something when I, I, we had a meet in May and I came back and I benched 135 again. I didn't hit 140. I tried for 140. I got it off my chest, but I didn't get it all the way up. But when I did bench 135, I did it the right way, and it was so much better. It was smoother. It was stronger. I didn't feel it in my back at all. Like, my butt was actually sore the next day from it. Like, I, I used everything I should have used to, to get that weight up. And, and so that was very rewarding. That was really exciting to see that my skill had improved since December. And um, this last meet was the first time that I had competed with squat and that took a lot out of me coming out and having to do squat first and just squat is, it was really, it was stressful for me. Um, I was like really nervous about it, but I hit my goal. My goal was a 215 pound back squat. So I hit that, which was great. And then by the time deadlift came around, I was like, I didn't even, my opener was 285 and that's as far as I got. Like I was fried because we started the meet at like nine and then deadlift was at three. So my lesson learned was like, I need to figure out how to channel my energy evenly throughout the day. Cause I put a lot into squat. I put a lot into bench. And then by the time deadlift came around, I was like, all right, I'm ready to go home. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, like, to be done. I'm, I want to be be out of here, and that's really where it's interesting. You say that because that's you know the Soviets who were the premier sports scientists. A lot of their their final preparation was all mental. Was because you get to a certain point, everything, all the physical work is done, and 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 it really is not. You can't do if you have a meet on Saturday, doing any training on Tuesday or Wednesday is not going to make you stronger. But if you get into the right relaxation, if you learn how to calm the mind down, if you learn how to like bring your, your kind of your, your anxiety level down and you come into the meet more relaxed, you'll do better overall. And that's just it's learning how to channel that. So that's where a lot of the Soviet, you know, so a lot of their, their technique would, would lead into the visualization, the imagery and the relaxation so that that way their, their athletes, um, whether it's for weightlifting or other sports, the final prep was all was all mental. It was all just like, how do we, how do we relax? 
because once the the, the meat starts and, and the gun goes off, you, you're you know, your extra epinephrine, everything will, will jack up and you'll be able to do it, but just as mm-hmm. a matter of, because if you're over-anxious, if you overthink it, your body locks up you, and you waste yeah. energy. You're, you're wasting energy between the lifts, and, and that's just, that's tough to learn with the, that's, that's, that's stuff that you'll learn as you do do more, do, do more. more meets. So yeah. are you getting people more interested in, have you gotten any women from your, uh, from your gym into, into training with you for that? I know I haven't just Hudson where I go out to do it is is pretty far from where we are it okay. takes like no traffic it's like 40 <laughs> minutes and then with traffic it's like an hour and 15 but I have we ha- have had as a result of me posting about training with this group we've had two women two more women join as a result of some of my posts That's and cool. and one of the women went to my workshop last November um, I'm not afraid to lift and so she just joined the group last week so it's it was really cool that people are that whatever I'm posting the people are reading and they're and they're taking the right things from it and um, and that I and I inspired these women to to want to join this group and um well, I like, love that. I like, love it. I like I, well, fantastic. I emailed you last year. There's a woman in uh, she's in Malaysia, in Kuala Lumpur, and mm-hmm. she was you know she you know she saw on Facebook that you and I were friends, and and so mm-hmm. when I saw her at one point, she asked for an introduction. So it's really that's one of the cool things about this is that you know that you have a positive influence. I mean you know that's one thing you know having having seen you years ago as a as a somebody an office worker who's coming to the gym, it's really cool to see you flourish in the fitness industry to see how you made that work for you, and now to see the stuff. That you're doing because you lead a series of workshops, right? For people, if there are any women interested in, in, in learning about weightlifting, you do workshops for that, correct? Yes, I do, and thank you for that. Um, and that, by the way, that that email when you emailed me from from Asia, that was like <laughs> that was that was crazy. That was crazy. But yes, yeah, so I I teach a workshop. It's called "I'm Not Afraid to Lift," and I started it two years ago, and with the intent of educating primarily women about strength training and the benefits of strength training and to help them overcome whatever fear they may have about lifting. And whether it be, you know, typically I see women are either afraid of how their body is going to change. You know, they're scared of of what's going to happen. Um, They're afraid that maybe they're going to build too much muscle or they don't know what's going to happen. Um, Or the, uh, the other thing that I see is that women are afraid and the, and men too. They just, they don't know what to do when they walk into the weight room. They don't, they have no idea what to do. They don't know how to lift. They're afraid they're going to hurt themselves. So this workshop is geared towards helping to educate primarily women. However, I have opened it up to, to men in the past to come in and, um, just get over that fear of, of maybe building too much muscle and, and embracing the fact that yes, your body is going to change, but you are going to like number one, how you feel when you start to feel stronger and empowered and independent and capable. And then number two, once that starts to happen, you're actually going to love what happens to your body. So, um, that, and also just to help them feel confident about that help them to feel confident that they know what to do when they have a weight in front of them. Well, I um, they know they can go to the gym and they, they know they have, they can put together a program and, and do something. But one, um, the, one of the blog posts that you wrote a long time ago stuck, stuck with me because it's an example I use and, and I've turned, you know, some women on that, that I work out with or see in the gym. I, I've, you know, given them, you know, 
if I see a woman you know lifting some iron, I say, hey, you got to check out this blog, and I, I do refer them to, to your blog, to Iron Body by Artemis. And one of the things you wrote about a while ago that, that really stuck with me is your ability to carry water bottles up mm-hmm. the stairs. What, what was that? What, what? Just recap that real quickly. Yeah, there. Uh, well. It, my we have a we have Poland Spring water de- delivered to our house and um my boyfriend and my co-owner, he actually, he has two herniated discs and there was a period of time, he's better now and he lifts normally now. He still has to, you know, he still pays attention to, to, um, you know, to it and just make sure that he doesn't have any setbacks, but, um. And he got them from just a, a bad fall on the ice here in Boston <laughs> uh, and working as an athletic trainer and, and not doing anything about it because he was worrying about everyone else. Um, but there was a period of time where he really had to be careful about what he lifted and he really couldn't lift a lot. And so I was the one who would bring in the water bottles and, and bring them into the back stairs and carry them up the stairs or carry them from our front porch, bring them around to our side porch. And they weigh 44 pounds a piece. And I did, I wrote a blog post about how strength training helps me to do these tasks at home. It helps me to be able to, whether Eric can lift them or not, is able to lift them or not, even if even if he is able to lift them, he's if he's not home, I am still strong enough and capable to be able to pick them up from the front porch, do a carry around to the back porch, and bring them up the stairs in, in our back porch. And um, I think that's really exciting to not have to rely on anyone to help you to be strong enough to be able to lift two 44-pound water bottles and take them for a farmer's carry around your house and bring them up the stairs. I just think that's so empowering. I mean, you know, my 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 four year old will pick up my uh, sandbags and sandbells in the garage, and she's actually picked up she's picked up my twenty pound ke- uh, kettlebell before and carried that around. And I don't you know, no encouragement from me, um, yeah, right. But I just I sit back and let her do that because it's, it's fun to see. Now, yeah. final thing as we wrap up, um, two things to hit on. One is you you wrote the other day about uh, work less, live more. Is mm. that did I get that right? What's what's that mean? What's that mantra mean for you? Yes, um, you know. It really, I think in general, you know, the world today is very 24-7. If I can look at it, it was like a global, uh, let me start with it globally. You know, I think everything is 24-7. Everything is immediate, especially with the internet. You know, when you and I were growing up, Pete, we didn't have the internet, email, nope. or cell phones. Nope. <laughs> Our parents used to tell us to go outside and play, and we would go out and play, and they wouldn't hand us an iPad or a phone. We would just have to go out and play and get creative, and then when they called us in, they wouldn't call us on our cell phone. They would stand on the front porch, and they would call us in. So uh, the world is different now. And, um, and then this, the fitness industry is really, I've learned being in it, especially now with, with social media and it, it is very much 24 seven people will email you and try to contact you at all hours of the day, all different ways. They will Facebook message you. They will email you. They will text you. They will do all of that. And, um, and then also just getting busier and busier in the industry, uh, there I have, you start to have, and I'm sure you have this a lot too, Pete, you have people who are asking you for, to help them out, to write something for them and, you know, not, not to be compensated in return. It's more just to like, you just, that, you're that reciprocal, you're like helping this person out. And, you know, I know we know that people really want to hear what you have to say. And I, w- I would love to have you as a guest post or whatever it is. And more and more that's happening with me. Um, and right 
before I think everything hit home, I went to Australia to teach my workshop. I'm not afraid to lift back in February and getting ready to leave for that trip because I was going to be gone for 10 days and us traveling in Australia. And then when I got back, I was going to be home for one day in Boston and then get in the car and drive to New York city to speak at the Mark Fisher fitness lab. So I had a, I was pretty much traveling all of February and it was really crazy. So getting ready for that, that absence, I was just getting, making sure all my distance coaching clients were all set, making sure everything with the gym was all set with Eric and, um, just any presentations I needed to have done, like for the Mark Fisher fitness lab was done and just off my plate and onto them so that I didn't have to worry about that while I was on my trip to Australia. And I was just really cramming to get a lot done, like really, really burning the midnight oil. And I went on that trip and after I got home from both Australia and New York, I was just fried. I was just totally fried. And I was like, wow, I just really spent the past two months just working really, really hard. And that's all I was focusing on. And I wasn't focusing on me and my personal well-being and my life and my life with Eric outside of the gym. And it just, it made me think about, I need to reevaluate things. Like I need to find some better balance here and I need to live a little bit more and work a little bit less because it's not making me any more money to, to, to work like this and to take on everything and anything that people are asking me for. So, um, and it also comes down to sort of tuning out. Like I know I post pretty regularly on social media, but it also comes down to tuning out social media. Like I don't have any notifications sent to my phone or anything or my computer or my, or my iPad for social media or anything like that. I, the only time I go on there to check it is when I carve that time out to go on and check it. And it helps a lot. So that, that was sort of my realization around that trip was I just need to like shut it down, like make sure I shut it down at 6 PM and I have dinner with Eric and the weekends are my weekends. Like as soon as we're done at the gym on Saturday, if I'm not teaching a workshop that weekend, then that's it. Then it's like our time. That's non-work time. And, um, and like this week I went to New York from Tuesday, I left on Tuesday, came back on Wednesday to go to my cousin's high school graduation party. And normally, like, I wouldn't try and carve time out for that. Like, I think I would always just be so focused on work, 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 work. And I just was like, no, I have to go and do this. I have to see my family. And and I made sure I did that. And, and work got put aside for that. So I think it's, we all need to take a step back. We don't need to be on the internet all the time. I don't, I don't care what industry you're in. You, you can, you can shut it down. You don't need to go on vacation and keep up with your blog. You don't like you. I think it's very healthy to like, to take that time and just tune it out and shut it down. And, and everyone needs to do a little bit more of that. And that's, and that's that's one of the reasons why you know I, I, we ended up moving to the West Coast is because East Coast is all about you get stuck mm-hmm. in this in this race in the East Coast it's all about work and it, yes. took, it, it took trust me I adapted to it much easier than my wife it took it took Monica and you know Monica it took Monica a little bit longer for her to okay life is going at a slower pace living in San Diego it, it took Monica a while to 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 downshift and I think you're so right we get so wrapped up in everything that you know what it's going to be there tomorrow work is yes. you know, Work is always going to be there. And that if we, you know, especially now, I I take the kids to daycare in the morning. And there's sometimes that 
that I goof around a little bit in the morning. But I know sometime in the future they'll be going different places. I won't have them there, and and I'll miss the time when they're this age. And and you know, an extra five minutes on the floor playing dolls or playing Legos is not going to make a big difference in the, in the long run. But it and makes a big a, difference now. Yeah, it does. And this and part of it also was like when I went to Australia, that I stayed with this couple in Australia who were their friends of the the owner of the gym that I taught my workshop at. And we were having this whole conversation there and they are from the United States, but they live in Australia now. And they were just talking about how like Americans in the United States, we just work way too much. Like and in Australia, people do, they live, they live first, then they work. They, they don't like live to work, you know? Well, if you, so, if you, if you ask somebody what they do here in San Diego, you're going to get mountain biking, surfing, you know, they, right. they coach, you're going to get life, you know, if I, and, and like we started with today, your description of your job, your DC job, you ask somebody what they do in DC. Number one is, is what they do for work. And number two, it takes five minutes to explain what the hell they do. <laughs> Such a different <laughs> atmosphere. But with that, I really, I appreciate your time. And, and if people are interested in learning more about Artemis, what's your blog? And I'm, I'm going to have the link to the blog below in the, uh, in the show notes. My blog is ironbodybyartemis.com. And your workshop is called? It's called I'm Not Afraid to Lift. And right now I just have one scheduled here in Boston the first weekend of November. And I'm in the process of putting together a retreat, a women's strength retreat for I'm Not Afraid to Lift. And I originally had the date set, but now I have to change the date. So just wait for an announcement on that. But that's coming in 2017. I'm really excited. And I can say that I've partnered with um, Julia Leduski. Uh, she's going to cover barbell lifting and then I'll, and then, um, Dr. Lisa Lewis, who's been doing the mindset portion of my lift workshop. She is a clinical psychologist. So the three of us will be teaching that retreat together. So just look out for the dates and, um, that will be coming in early 2017 before the summertime. All right. So if you're interested in finding out more about Artemis, you'll have contact information below. I really, it's, it's been such a pleasure to watch you flourish and to watch you kick some butt in this industry. And, you know, we, you know, what do you say? How do you say how long have we known each other? What's the phrase that you use? Since when, uh, since MC Hammer Pants were in style. <laughs> since MC Hammer Pants, yeah. One of the things I use is, is I've been yep. training. I've been training since flip phones and cassette tapes or flip phones yep. and portable portable disc players were, were all the rage. Well, thank you for your time, Artemis. It's been awesome to see you kick some butt, and uh, I look forward to staying in touch with you as we go forward. Thanks so much for having me on the show, Pete. It was great. Thank well, there you go. Another uh, episode of All About Fitness in the Can. Hopefully you got some good tidbits from Artemis and her journey um, going from working for the government to being a international fitness personality. Uh, it's possible. So if you're interested in what you can do to change your career, if you've you know kind of tired of going in and punching a clock or sitting at a desk or having to put up with, with everything that you put up with on a daily basis and want to know how you can be your own boss and you can change the world through fitness, um, the starting point is getting a certification. You know, I made one or two comments about certifications during the podcast, but the, the reality is that most health clubs won't hire you without um, at least certifications bare minimum. Um, but the truth is you can call yourself a personal trainer and start training people. There is no licensure. Currently, right now, summer of 2016, no states have a licensure requirement for personal training. Um, gyms will require you have some sort of certification, but there's no licensure. So it's a very, still a very young industry from that standpoint. Obviously, um, I've worked for the American Council on Exercise, so I would recommend ACEFitness.org. 
If you're interested in learning about how to become an ACE certified personal trainer, another one that is the National Academy of Sports Medicine. That's the NASM that Artemis was referring to quite a bit. NASM is nasm.org. Both uh, American Council on Exercise and National Academy of Sports Medicine um, offer very similar information. The body, we have a finite set of muscles. There's a finite what we know about physiology. The difference is how you apply exercise programs to change that physiology. And I, I was uh, directly responsible with helping ACE develop their um, model of, of exercise program design. We call it the Integrated Fitness Training Model. And NASM has their model of personal training uh, program design, the Optimal Performance Training Model. Both models work. Both models are correct application of the science. Both will give you the skill set to go out and help change lives through exercise. So ACE is acefitness.org. Um, you sign up, you study, you can do online study. They have proctored study. They have study um, coaches available to you, depending on what package you want. And then you go to a test site and take the test. NASM is very similar. You go to nasm.org, you sign up for a course, and uh, you can go through online. I teach online courses for NASM. Um, I also teach locally in, in San Diego at Mesa Junior College. Mesa College um, and some other junior colleges in San Diego have a one-year fitness certificate program. What we do is we go through, it's about five or six classes over the course of a year that goes through and prepares students to take the ACE um, certification, personal training certification exam. So if you're interested in doing that, um, becoming a, a fitness professional and don't want to go back, you don't need to go back. My recommendation is you do not need to go back and spend four years in school. At least look at the local junior college. Many junior colleges have a program or at least a few courses that can put you on the road to earning a fitness credential and um, most of the courses um, are taught by people like me with I have almost 20 years of experience in the field and I have a master's degree so you get uh, the book experience along with practical experience if you're interested in teaching classes like if you're interested in teaching group cycling you can go uh, look up Schwinn cycling certification um, you can look up Mad Dog Spinning Certification. And I, I do some work with Schwinn, and I can attest that they've um, adapted a little bit better than some of the other programs have because Schwinn will actually include power meters. They teach you how to use a power meter. Schwinn, bike, um, Schwinn bikes include a power meter. So if you're interested in learning how to teach and really using teaching effectively, you have to know um, what watts are and how to coach your uh, riders to pay attention to their watts, and Schwinn definitely offers that. If you want to teach group fitness classes like Les Mills, go to Les Mills, uh, search lesmills.com, and Les Mills is very, very good at teaching instructors how to deliver certain workouts. You will be graded. You have to send a video of yourself teaching, um, but they will give you uh, critique and feedback to help you develop as an instructor. You'll be teaching their branded program, but you'll be teaching. You'll have their credentials to teach. So I'm going to put some other information about how you can get started with a career in fitness in the show notes. And obviously you heard Artemis and I talk about it. We both, um, I've been doing this full-time since 1998. She's been doing it almost 10 years and really the sky's the limit. Um, it's one of those career fields where you uh, can do with it what you want. And especially now with social media, with technology like uh, podcasting, with YouTube, there are many ways that you could start a fitness business where you don't even train people in person. You can do it online uh, virtually. So um, that's just, there are a lot of options there. So if you're interested in making fitness your, your career, hopefully today's podcast gave you some, uh, some ideas for that. 
If you have any feedback, please um, go to my website, Pete McCall Fitness. That's Pete McCall, M-C-C-A-L-L, fitness.com, and send me some feedback. Or take the time, if you don't mind, to give me a rating on iTunes. I'm still relatively new at doing the podcast. You might be able to tell that by certain audio issues, but this is a learning process. And all I'm trying to do is get more information out there for you, the general fitness consumer, and how you can use fitness to enhance your life. So if you have any comments, if you like the podcast, please take a moment and rate us on iTunes or Google Play and help other people find this resource. And uh, if you don't mind, follow me at PeteMC underscore fitness, PeteMC underscore fitness on Twitter, or PeteMC underscore fitness. No, I think it's Pete McCall. Sorry, Pete McCall underscore fitness on Instagram. Either way, I'm just trying to put information out there that uh, can help you improve your life through health and exercise. Until next time, stay fit and have a great day. Thank you for your time.